Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Grace Church this evening. We're so happy to see all of you here for Wednesday night Bible study. And for those of you that are joining us via Facebook and live stream, we'd like to say welcome to you as well. We're honored that you would spend time with us this evening. I want to give you just a few announcements this evening. Um, first of all, for all of those that signed up to uh, lead a connect group, from what I understand, there were about 20 people that signed up to lead a connect group. There will be a meeting in the A Center, um, the, the 26th, that's this coming Sunday at 6 p.m. So if you signed up to lead a connect group, please put that on your calendar. There will be a lot of important information conveyed at that meeting on uh, this coming Sunday. Also, a camp meeting will be uh, the 5th through the 8th of July, of course, at the campgrounds in Tioga. And then we are also uh, very happy to be uh, announcing the, the beginnings of a new class for our young adults. And this is for all of our uh, Grace Church uh, folks that are college age to the age of 40. Uh, there's going to be a new class starting for them on Sunday mornings. Um, and we're going to launch that on Sunday the 10th. So this is the Sunday after um, camp meeting. So Sunday, July 10th. And, of course, that will meet during our um, Sunday school time on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. And that will be in the A Center. So please keep those things in mind. Before Pastor comes this evening, uh, I, would want, I want to take just a couple of minutes to review, for those of you that were here last Wednesday night, something that is uh, very close to my heart. And for those of you that weren't here last Wednesday night, um, this, is, this is still something that's very close to my heart. Um, last Wednesday night, I talked about how we need to be connected to God's family. As the, as the physical representation of Christ's body in this world, we have some responsibilities and some privileges. Uh, we have a responsibility and a privilege to preach and proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. We also have a responsibility and a privilege to be and to make disciples. Uh, to be and to make followers of Jesus, people that lived like he lived, people that loved like he loved, that's growth. So we have a responsibility to deliver the gospel. We have a responsibility and privilege to grow, to make disciples. We also have a responsibility to, to demonstrate the love of Jesus to those around us, and we typically do that through giving, through service, uh, we, we give of ourselves, we give of our time, we give of our resources. So the growth, so the gospel growth and giving. But then last Wednesday night, our focus was on uh, another area of responsibility and privilege that we have, and that is to gather, to be connected, to, to have meaningful connections with our brothers and sisters in the family of God. So the gospel growth, giving, and to gather and um, if I could just leave you with this, sports writer Rick Riley uh, was um, long known as the back page columnist for Sports Illustrated magazine. And he gave rookie professionals this advice. He said, stop thumping your chest. The line blocked, the quarterback threw you a perfect spiral while getting his head knocked off. And the really good receiver on the team is the one that drew double coverage. So get over yourself. During his 27 years coaching his 10-time national championship UCLA basketball teams, Coach John Wooden would often remind his players it takes 10 hands to score a basket. 
Coach Wooten had been reading his Bible, apparently, because what he told his players perfectly lines up with what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. He said, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. But a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Folks, no one realizes their true potential on their own. No one realizes their true potential on their own. God's word, Jesus' example, and even life itself teaches us that life is designed to be lived together. It is a team endeavor. It is a family event. God established that principle in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2. He said, it's not good for man or woman to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So being the Lone Ranger, that was never God's intention for us. Not at all. Loneliness is a killer. It is a poison. But companionship, family, that's the elixir of life. And that's not some social-emotional buzzword. It's not some pseudo-theology. That is biblical. It is scriptural. It is from God's word. Philip de Courcy said that biblical wisdom teaches that we embrace a theology of we and reject a theology of me. Philippians 2 and 4 says, Look not every man to his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So I'll leave you with this. If you really want to win in life, if you want to do life right, then at some point you will have to commit to five components of community. You'll have to resist the go-it-alone spirit that characterizes our Western culture. You will have to cultivate meaningful relationships and learn to treasure and value friendships. You have to stay closely connected to the members of the body of Christ. You will have to reach out to the lonely and falling, and we will have to go out of our way to demonstrate the nature of what real friendship, what real family looks like. So in short, trying to blaze your own trail, it's always a dead-end street. But a life shared is a life that is fully lived. God bless you this evening. Well, good evening, everybody. Great to see you tonight. And uh, as always, thank you so very much for uh, being here tonight. I deeply appreciate it and have a lot of respect for what uh, Brother Jason just presented to us. <clears throat> and he's right. He's absolutely right. And um, it's a wonderful, wonderful segue into what I want to talk to you about tonight. <clears throat> Before we do that, it's great again. It's great to see all of you here. Thank you so very much for coming. And uh, what a powerful, powerful service this past Sunday. I am deeply, deeply thankful for the moving of God in uh, our church. I'm thankful for the manifest presence of God. And uh, even though it was Father's Day Sunday, 
It was just a wonderful, wonderful outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and, and I believe we're beginning to see now um, the fruit of a lot of things we've preached and taught are, is beginning to come to pass, and for that I am so, so very <clears throat> thankful. Uh, along with Brother Jason and his announcements, and I do not mean to repeat them, but I am so excited about our uh, connect groups that will be starting up. Uh, we're shooting for the week after Labor Day to start our first semester. And for those of you that are con connect group leaders, we'll give you all that information Sunday night about when they'll start, a semester will start, when it will end. And um, I believe we have a golden opportunity ahead of us right now to um, really impact our own personal lives and certainly the many, many lives of others. And there'll be a lot of questions about our connect groups that will be answered Sunday night. So it's, it's really important if you've signed up to be a connect group leader that you plan to attend uh, this coming Sunday night at 6 p.m. We will have refreshments, uh, some, some food and snacks and what have you for you to enjoy as uh, we traverse through this meeting. Brother Dave Bunch will be doing uh, will be the speaker for most of this meeting, and uh, but we may be hearing from one or two others. We'll see. Uh, but we do anticipate you coming. It's exciting. It's going to be a great time for Grace Church. And then our young adult class uh, starting July the 10th can't wait. Uh, we have a, I think it's a tremendous, tremendous uh, path, a uh, lot of vision behind it. There's been a lot of conversation behind it. And I think it's going to be a tremendous, tremendous blessing to our young adults, uh, college age through 40. I would like to say again, we're, we're going to really try to hold the 40-year-old 40, uh, 40 as the top age. Um, now, if you're married and one of you is 38 and the other one's 43, the 43-year-old can come. But you're going to need to be attached to somebody that's under 40 to be able to come. Uh, hope everybody understands that and uh, so thank you but we're excited uh, brother uh, Nathan Henson is going to be taking the lead on that uh, for the first two months of the class and uh, he's got some speakers already lined up to go in and teach and we're shooting for kind of more of a kind of a forum where it's going to be more of a uh, discussion a lot of interaction with the uh, students and uh, not just a 40, 45 minutes of lecture. So it's going to be a great time. And so show up Sunday, that's Sunday morning, July the 10th, and uh, at 10 o'clock plan to go out to the A Center for that class. And uh, I think you're going to be pleased by what you see in here. Let me launch into our Bible study tonight. And uh, again, this Bible study is leading up to the Connect Group leadership meeting that we're uh, hosting this coming Sunday Sunday evening and uh, so if you'll lend me your ear especially those of you that signed up to be connect group leaders I want to talk to you tonight about our mission uh, as uh, Grace Church members uh, I want to talk to you tonight about our mission <clears throat> there's a great story we could enjoy for a, a quick smile before we immerse ourselves into the Word of God tonight. Before I, I, I continue, uh, do be in prayer this week. I know you have been. Continue. Uh, senior camp is going on. And uh, we have one person, I understand, enrolled in senior camp. 
and I'm very excited about that, but we have a host of others uh, that are there, parents and their, their children that are working at the camp, uh, helping serve food and, and you name it. They're all over the campground. And I'm very happy about that. And we will look forward to their return home uh, this weekend. But a certain missionary family had accepted the call of God to become foreign missionaries, and this is not United Pentecostal. And the mother was worried that while they were overseas, they would lose all sense of American style and fashion. And uh, when they would, would come home, their children would be uh, regulated, excuse me, relegated to the role of missionary geeks. They'd look like people clothed by the local charity she was afraid of. So this mom said to several friends, look, while we're out there in our, our mission's country, uh, once in a while send us a JCPenney catalog. We'll try not to let things get too out of hand to where we're wearing old hand-me-down clothes and shoes. Okay, so for several years, this mom carefully looked through the catalogs and made sure they kept their wardrobes up to date as American style and so on would dictate. So finally the grand moment came when their homecoming plane landed at LAX after the years overseas and as this mom and dad and the children walked through the airport they could just feel people's eyes on them staring almost pointing just burning a hole of ridicule right through them and the mom was nearly in tears. They got down to baggage claim where her own mother was where her own mother was and, and, and just burst into tears. I'm so embarrassed, she sobbed. Everybody was staring. Do we really look that pathetic, that missionary-ish? And the grandma was very comforting. She said, no, honey, you don't look that different from everybody else. People just aren't used to seeing Americans carry their suitcases on top of their head. Uh, <clears throat> Some of you have perhaps been places, Sister Murph and I sure have, where you see the grinding poverty and the human misery others endure as their daily lot in life. I do want to say tonight that there's a lot of people that has a lot of criticisms about the United States of America. And it is certainly not a country that does everything right, doesn't always do even everything well. But in my opinion, it's still the best place on the planet to live. And I'm thankful tonight to be an American. I really am. So if you've traveled anywhere overseas, you can very readily see the grinding poverty and the human misery others endure as their daily lot in life. You've seen the irony of a comfortable hotel, kind of an American-style hotel in a foreign country and a tasty breakfast buffet for the visitors usually from America and a few hundred yards away there's nothing but the shanties and the scourge of crime and prostitution. Sister Murph and I have witnessed this. We were in Mexico when we were teenagers. We were sitting in a little open air thing trying to find something on the menu we could eat for just a breakfast snack. And I watched a, a very obvious tourist smoking a cigarette, thump the cigarette butt and I watched four or five little Mexican children jump all over it thinking that it might be something to eat because it was something that went to that man's mouth and then back out again. 
When you ride through that grit and grime in your air-conditioned taxi or tour bus, you find yourself thinking, and if you'll excuse the expression and the explanation I'm about to present, as one man said, he said, it's just a complete cosmic lucky roulette game of chance that caused us to be born in the U.S. instead of in a dirty back room in those slums. We could just as easily have been born in relentless poverty, born into some false religion or atheist background, born with no educational opportunities, born in a culture of ignorance and fear. We had a missionary here several years ago who was a missionary to Cuba, or excuse me, to Mexico, but they had, I believe, by the hand of God, had worked out some entrance into Cuba. I remember we received an offering uh, from you uh, that could help convert a house to kind of a makeshift church in Cuba where they could very secretly hold services under that very, very severe communistic regime that's there as their government. Now, remember that missionary telling us that the government paid the people. They worked, they worked six hours a day and more, but the government paid them. They didn't get a check from their company or whatever. The government paid them. And unless you were a, a medical doctor practicing medicine in Cuba, you made $20 a month. That's all you made. If you were a doctor, you made $60 a month. That's all you made. It has been established in the past number of years that even people here in America that live on welfare every month make more money than most people around the world. So as I continue through this introduction here for a moment, uh, please keep these things in mind. Most of us have grown up in, in at least relative affluence because our parents were here instead of there. We have lived lives of advantages, economic privileges, and spiritual riches. There are people who never leave the pitiful existence of poverty. And some of us glided into church tonight in well-upholstered comfort. Yes, we did. Now, God knew all these things before the foundations of the world. And I don't believe God necessarily ordains all of these circumstances because then there wouldn't be free will and natural laws. But he knew that you and I would be born and that we would live on the privileged side of the scales. And as we've studied together during these preceding weeks on Wednesday night, of exploring the eternal purposes of our Heavenly Father, it's clear that we're now called to give back. We're being called on to give back, to do extra, to serve with diligence. If our purses and wallets are fuller than other people's, then we are being called to serve, to give, to give extra, to do extra. I remember reading where Robert Kennedy, of course, John F. Kennedy's younger brother, was campaigning for president in 1968. He was talking to a classroom filled with medical students, people about to head into very lucrative careers. And in the room, there was this atmosphere of class resentment over his proposals to 
help the poor, to provide health insurance for everybody, for of making sure the rising tide lifted all the boats in the water, if you will. And finally, he just stopped talking and asked them, okay, you're all going to be doctors, I understand that. But how many of you at some point in your education got scholarships or grants or any kind of public assistance? After a brief pause, most hands in the room slowly went up. And Senator Kennedy really leaned into them. He said, you mean to say, now that you got yours, now that you've been helped to prosper, that you want, you, you, you want to pull up behind yourselves the very ladder that you use to get to where you are. He asked, are you that selfish? And the quiet hush filled the room as you can imagine. You remember the words of Jesus when he said to those who have been given much, much is required. Our final purpose following, our final purpose following worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, we've talked about all those things in the preceding Wednesday nights. The only one left that we can do only here on earth is missions, our mission. That's all we have left. We can worship, we can fellowship, we can discipleship, we can have ministry, all of those things. But there's yet one more thing that we can do, and we can only do it here on this earth. The four things I just mentioned will carry on through the ceaseless ages, worship, fellowship, discipleship, and ministry. But here's number five. Our mission. Our mission. Jesus said in John 17, 18, he was praying and said, As thou hast sent me into the world. Everybody say into the world. Even so have I sent them into the world. One translation said, In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I want you to notice tonight that in the world we have a ministry here in the church and we have a mission here in the world we have a ministry in the church but we have a mission in the world we're called to serve believers here and we're also called to serve unbelievers out there this is our spiritual family out there is our global family God informs us that we are connected to both and Jesus explicitly presses a passport into our hands when he tells us in John 20, 21, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Well, sending us to do what exactly? The Apostle Paul fills us in on our assignment in Acts 20, 24. He said, The most important thing is that I have, that I complete my mission, the work the Lord Jesus gave me to tell people the good news about the grace of God. So I'm going to ask all of us here tonight to soberly and enthusiastically embrace this as our final purpose in life, and that is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. If the gospel truly is good news, if knowing life isn't an accident, if knowing our being here has a purpose, if knowing that God created us to love us and to have us love Him 
If all of that is good news, then we have a moral and divine obligation to share this with as many people as we can. A lot of you here tonight will recognize the name of the athlete Kurt Warner, former quarterback for the St. Louis Rams. He penned his sports autobiography entitled, Keep Your Head Up. He is known to be a Christian athlete and one of those who would sometimes irritate sports writers who ask him, how did you complete 22 of 26 passes today? And he'll answer by giving all the credit to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm sure a lot of you've heard athletes do that. A sports commentator once said to Dave Dravecki, a Christian baseball pitcher who was always sharing his faith in post-game interviews, he said, you know, when we ask you a question about baseball, we want you to answer about baseball. If, all, if you want to be a Jesus freak and share your faith, then buy a billboard someplace. Anyway, Kurt Warner got hit with the same complaint. Why can't you, Christian, shut up about your religion for two minutes? Why do you have to hit everybody over the head with it? He gave a very poignant answer. He said, look, to me it's like this. I'm invited to a party at someone's house, and it's fantastic. The host is just such a nice man, such a friend, such an inspiration to me. The party is good, the food is good, the music is good, the friendships are good. I'm having the time of my life. Meanwhile, my 39 teammates are outside someplace in the darkness, lonely, discouraged, wrapped up in their problems. What kind of teammate would I be? What kind of friend? If I didn't at least go to the front door and shout out to them, you guys, the party is unbelievable. Come on, check it out. Well said. So this word evangelism just simply means good news. An evangelist shares the good news. By the way, when we get some directions about our territory, we're supposed to do this sharing. When we get some directions about our territory, we're supposed to do this sharing. I'll say that one more time. When we get directions about our territory. Everybody say territory. Sometimes we feel a little justified by not saying anything and just opening our wallet, especially when we have a foreign missionary, because we can't all go overseas, and we all know that, and missionaries know that. And so they ask, for, they ask for finances, but more than that, they ask for your prayer. But Jesus, in his wisdom, has given us a territory within our personal reach. And when Jesus said to share the gospel, the very strong teaching, the very strong principle, as you share it in the territory that you've been assigned to. Jesus said to his disciples... And they were in Jerusalem at the time. And you've heard this over and over in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You shall receive powers of the Holy Ghost to come of you. Um, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Both in Jerusalem. That's where they were. Was in Jerusalem. So Jesus didn't give them a pass on sharing the gospel in Jerusalem. Where they lived. It would relieve all of our consciences better if the good news was meant to be shared overseas somewhere where we can't go and where we can't reach. 
it would make us no doubt feel a lot better if that was the case. But unfortunately, Jesus covered that. And then he said, in all Judea and in Samaria and then to the uttermost part of the earth. So you and I can determine, we can pull from what Jesus is saying to us, start at home, start in your own community. This is what we're going to be asking our uh, connect group leaders to consider. This isn't connect groups just about Grace Church and gathering your friends here at Grace Church together, but include somebody that's not familiar with the good news of Jesus Christ. Include them in your group. So you start at home. You start in your own community. You start at the building where you work. You start in the arena uh, where you work and in your neighborhoods. Then Jesus adds, then go to Judea and Samaria. He's telling us to go to the next parish. It's how we would apply that to the state of Louisiana, specifically the state, the, the city of Baton Rouge, uh, the parish of East Baton Rouge. So when we've done everything we can do in our world, in this parish, then you go to the next is what he meant is an application of go to Judea and Samaria. And Jesus saying that, and I'll have all of you notice tonight, when he told us to go, told his disciples to not only minister to people in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was primarily Jewish people, but when you start getting out into the, to the more extended areas of, of the nation of Israel at that time, Judea, and especially Samaria, now you were beginning to cross racial boundaries. You were discovering a different racial mix of people. You were discovering a different cultural mix of people. So he is asking them, he is instructing them, he is commanding them literally to go to neighborhoods and minister to people that's different from yours. Once you have ministered in your neighborhood, your next step is go to the neighborhood that's different from yours. Go to where perhaps there's poverty. Or go to where perhaps there's built-in animosity, where there's racial differences, where there's racial struggles and so on. And um, here in the deep south, we really love the gospel until it reaches this point. Because we sometimes prefer and feel more comfortable. Just hanging out with our own people and our own culture and so on. But that's not what the gospel is about. You folks know very strongly, very well how I feel about these things. But bottom line, Jesus is teaching his disciples, cross the border where you live and go into someone else's. We preach this often here. Um, our, 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 to us here at, at Grace Church, most of us here at Grace Church, our soul winning is pretty much limited to family, lost family, and very, very close friends. We want to reach these people, and we will spend a lifetime trying to do so, and in a lot of situations, not be successful. I have taught, and some may disagree, but you're working with people like that and they're not interested in the gospel move on to someone else if they become interested then you can go back to them they're your family they're your friends close friends so you can always make a path back to them but just don't bog down with the same people I had a conversation with somebody actually this week and I 
maybe I'm too strong in my propensity to do this or not, but I'm, there, there are times, there are people that are not serving God, and if I find out they're not interested in serving God at this point, I will leave them alone. I don't want them to think every time they see me coming, I'm going to beat them in the head with come to church, come to church, come to church, you need the Holy Ghost, you need the Holy Ghost, you need the Holy Ghost. They know that. And I don't want them to see me coming and think they're going to get pounded with that. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and I, I want all of our small group leaders, our connect group leaders especially, to understand this. That if you can't be effective with people that you're close to that need the Lord and people who are related to you and are close friends and so on that need the Lord, cross the border where you live and go into someone else's and try to reach out to those people. Um, and then finally Jesus tells us, get plane tickets and go to foreign countries to share the good news. Uh, you and I live in this incredible age where in 24 hours and spending maybe two or three days salary we can be on a plane and literally be around the world in less time than it took for Paul to travel just a few miles in the New Testament we live in an age of incredible opportunities to do mission work you can make a friend anywhere around the world and stay in touch with them all the time now Jesus obviously didn't tell us to buy plane tickets and go around the world if you feel called to do that then more power to you and you need to do that but actually to reach people close to us, we don't have to really go that far. And I want to tell you here tonight, social media is not a replacement for talking to people personally about Jesus. They, they need to see your body language. They need to hear the tone of your voice. They need to see that sparkle in your eye and so on. God doesn't call us to be his prosecuting attorneys and to pin people down with our truths that we believe so uh, passionately. He doesn't expect us to be his defense attorneys and explain away all the sins and shortcomings of the church. And of course, we're certainly not people's judges. God didn't die and appoint us to be his judge. All he wants us to be is a witness. Just tell what he has done for you in your life. To get up in the box get sworn in and tell the people what you know about him. There's no doubt there are people here tonight who need love, fellowship, and friendship. The witness that we can take across the street or across the vast ocean needs to be real and it needs to be passionate. We need to lean forward and say to that new friend, listen, I'll just, I just want to tell you right here what a precious friend Jesus has been to me. How he changed and directed my life. He's made a difference. How he's personally impacted my decisions, my values, my friendships, my standards, my priorities. This is the kind of things that God wants you to tell the people around you. For witness to be credible, it has to be personal. Our courtrooms here in America don't allow hearsay evidence. Nobody else can tell your story like you can. And everybody here tonight has something to say about your personal life that God has done for you. Let's remember again that God has a very simple purpose in this world. He simply wants to build a family, a global family. And our part in it, now that we are in it, is to bring other people into it. 
to grow the family. And I believe with all of my heart that God intends this church to grow. And if a year from now it's not any bigger than it is now, then we're doing something wrong. If it's not any bigger a year from now than, than right now, then our focus is wrong. We're spending our time and talents and money in the wrong areas. We have to grow. And we do it by reaching out to those closest to us. When you exhaust that, then you go into the other parts of our world that we live in that I just described to you. So how do we do it right? First of all, I must share with those who are in my world. There's a great Bible healing story in Luke 8 where Jesus drives the demons out of a man. There are enough sons of Lucifer in this one man to drive 2,000 pigs right over a cliff and kill themselves. They themselves admitted our name is Legion. So this man is hugely grateful. He is motivated to be a foreign missionary right now. He attends Jesus School of Missions. He signs himself up for every single project there is. He wants to play a guitar in the praise team. He wants to set up the PA system. He wants to tear it down. He wants to organize potluck dinners. And he wants to go overseas and pass out Bibles. But what does Jesus say to him? He says, no, go back home. Just go back home and tell the people. People you know, people you're connected with, people who are your friends. Tell those people how much God has done for you. And you talk about a new convert that could light up the ministry of Jesus. But Jesus didn't want him to go with him. He said, you go back home and you tell others about me. Back in 2004, there was a powerful story in the Los Angeles Times about the retirement of Reverend Cecil L. Murray, the senior pastor of First AME Church in Los Angeles. For 27 years, he led the congregation of 18,000 people in active community ministry. The slogan at his church has always been prayers with feet. They don't just study the Bible. They built some 2,000 low-income housing units. They help find people jobs. They expand neighborhood food programs. They run their own community schools. They give away scholarships. And the newspaper quoted Pastor Murray as saying, we must be a servant church or we are in default. We have to go, uh, we, we have to go from being pew workers to public workers. And there have been Sundays where the same pastor has gotten up in the pulpit and said, Okay, look out there at our own parking lot. See how many fine cars we have. How much money do we spend on recreation or on cosmetics? And then this. What you do with what you have reflects on who you are. If you can't eat a full meal in front of a hungry person, if you can eat a full meal in front of a hungry person, he said, you ain't got no religion. There's always this story stereotype about witnessing. You say you should witness to the guy who may help you at the gas station and the lady at the checkout stand at your local grocery store. Now, I don't discount the possibility that you might be able to do that. But I think this story of the demoniac that we just referred to tells us to find people we're already connected with, people we know, which is why we need to create consistent opportunities where friendships can thrive. And that's what we're striving to do with our connect groups. There's a misconception that we need to vigorously debunk. We assume that people aren't interested in religion. 
They're not interested in church. And what we say will fall on deaf ears. And let me respond with two ideas. First of all, remember that we live in a nation with a very real, very strong spiritual heritage and a lot of interest in matters of faith. People are talking about this all the time. But number two, the Gallup people did a, a survey and found this out about Americans. More than 65 million Americans have no church home. But more than half of those, 34 million, said they would attend if someone would only ask them. That's very indicting to me personally. These people are waiting for us to say, I'm into something that is really changing my life and I want you to come and check it out with me. We're told that millions might accept the Christian message if someone will simply bring them home and put a meal in front of them. This is what our vision for Connect Groups is encapsulating. I read about an optometrist who used the following as his eye chart, patients covering up one eye and reading in letters across the eye chart, God loves me and has a plan for my life. That's his eye chart, not all these random letters. We have to wake up each day saying to the Lord, where do you want me to go? Where are my open doors today? And of course, if we have an attitude of looking for the door, we're more likely to find it. There's an old anecdote about a man who had a, a favorite hunting story where he had had the starring role. He loved to tell that story. He loved it when a new visitor came over to his house because that was virgin ears, if you will. And so he would gently, or not so gently, steer the conversation over until that story would come up and he would present himself an opportunity to tell his big hunting story. He was a master at easing every thread of discussion over to the great outdoors and then the big game and then the rifles and then uh, there he was. In fact, as I heard it, if the conversation seemed to be stuck in neutral and he simply could not move the topic from A to B to C down to H for hunting, he would wait until the person was looking away. If they were looking at something else for a moment, he would clap his hands like that real sharply and then cry out real loud. What was that? What was that, a gun? Speaking of guns, let me tell you my hunting story. I know a few people at Grace Church that's very close. As a matter of fact, I may have given you an idea. But let's look for gracious, warm, effective, sensible ways to let Jesus let his purpose for us permeate our lives and our relationships. Be ready at all times, it says in 1 Peter 3.15, to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope you have in you. So I must dare to reach beyond my world. So we're supposed to reach out, to move out, to travel out of our usual circle. Someone said the word gospel, the word go, is in God. The word go is in good news. The word go is in the word gospel. The word go is in Golgotha. If you're looking for a place to witness, the word go is even in the word golf. Let that resonate. There's 
many, many opportunities that we have during the day to just gently bring the conversation around to Jesus and to share our testimony with somebody that needs to hear it. Maybe you're unaware that there are people living very different lives, desperate lives within a few miles of this church. Brother Dave did an excellent job several Wednesday nights ago in presenting our Connect Group uh, vision and idea. And he mentioned, uh, gave statistics, especially now post-COVID, how many people are desperately long, lonely. Brother Jason commented about this tonight. Seeking relationships with people, that, relationships that are real, relationships that are true and genuine. I've recently been with some people incredibly lonely been with people who've been bitter bitter they're heartbroken they're frustrated and they're not very far from this church we have to find common ground with these people who are not like we are not Pentecostal not even professional not not what we are and what we think eat drink and wear we have to reach out somehow and try to understand the foreign mindset of people who don't crave the things we do and try to understand that way of thinking. Paul writes almost in desperation. Whatever each person is like, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. One translation said, stoop down, reach out to those who are oppressed, share their burdens, and so complete Christ's law. We're stronger than other people. And I believe we're more blessed than most. James 1.27 tells us that the homeless and the widows and those who have had all love stripped out of their lives are our responsibility. So someone said, I pray for the day when the red states of America, the states where all of the so-called Christian believers are congregating and living and voting, will take care of the orphans and the hungry, will give ghetto kids a good education, and make sure everybody has a bed to sleep in and doesn't just vote to ban gay marriage. Where a, person, where a person's pro-life concerns don't evaporate the minute the fetus becomes a baby, is, is it's born and now needs neonatal care. God needs for every single person within our ranks to be a warm, cheerful, loving, and lovable Christian who does care for others, give a soft answer to everyone, where others picket and shout slogans to be a gentle friend, forgive your enemies, Christianity is to love God and the person in front of you. Jesus instructed us to care about the whole world. Yes, that includes overseas, but it also includes people who are different from us racially, culturally, financially, etc. Jesus said, go into all the world, all the world, and preach the gospel. As I'm bringing this in for a conclusion, Jesus makes each one of us an ironclad promise. He said in Mark chapter 10, verse 29, Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there's no man that has left his house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, mother, wife, children, lands, for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life.
One translation said, let me assure you, Jesus says, that no one has ever given up anything for the love of me to tell others the good news who won't be given back a hundred times over, a hundred times over. He'll always give us adventure and fulfillment. He'll take away our self-centeredness and our egos, but there's also an eternal reward that's just magnificent. You all have heard that song, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. The scene takes place in heaven in a shadow of the tree of life with all the mansions and all of that. Even, even here in our present life, I see it most clearly when I look in the mirror. When I look at your lives and the lives of people that I hold dear, we are most fulfilled, we're most alive, and we're most godlike when we're serving when we're involved in ministry and missions. Jesus tells us in Mark 8, 35, for whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall find it. One translation said, if you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it really means to live. So there are people out there right now at this very moment and your name is on the door to their heart. Some, someone local whose personality, whose life circumstances, whose background means that you're the perfect person to get to them. You're like their own personal Esther in the Bible. God put you here as a divine arrow for the specific purpose of being fired at that precious human target. There's someone local like that. There's a person in Judea and Samaria, meaning town, and town and town God means for you to connect with that person <clears throat> in conclusion tonight I heard about a sermon once that played off the final scenes of the film the Titanic these half empty lifeboats went into the water nearby just 50 yards away the cries of the freezing victims were slowly ebbing into a cemetery of silence there was room on the boats. There were empty spaces on the boats with the names of potential candidates for salvation, but the boats didn't go back to get them. They stayed in the safe waters of separation, of self-interest, of protecting the status quo. And this preacher summed up by saying, Man, I never again going to just paddle past someone who needs Jesus. I'm going to look for open doors of witnessing, and I'm going to talk through those doors every time. I'm going to walk through those doors every time. I'm going to have my flashlight on as I scan the cold Atlantic water for someone I can rescue. Save one more for Jesus. Folks, there's people all around us that need love, fellowship, and friendship. Again, Jason touched on that a little while ago. We all know it. We all know it. Perhaps we're one of those people. But the best way to find fellowship and friendship is for you to pursue fellowship and friendship. Being alone is a miserable, horrible, horrible place to live. And it would do us good. It would do all of us good to surround ourselves with some people over the next few weeks and months that not only will help, that we can help and that we can minister to, but will, they will help and minister to us as well. My heart was a little bit broken tonight, and I'm, I'm finished. Uh, 
I've been working with, with Brian Tier over the past several weeks. There's a very elderly man. Uh, he's in a bad way tonight. He attended Grace Church a number of years ago when we were in Baker. And uh, I love the man, I do. There's some complications, there's some challenges and what have you, and I say that in all due respect, but still love the man. He has a heart, someone said, as, a, as big as a hole outdoors. I understand his property is in horrible disarray even from the hurricane last year and uh, limbs and scattered and grass hasn't been mowed in months and months and months I think there's some neighbors that come over and mow a little bit in his front yard and uh, Brian had been successful in putting about eight ten people together to go to his house in the next couple of weeks and take care of all of that in one Saturday got word from a family member that the man would rather not do that maybe wait till the fall but I want to ask Brian and all the people that so very beautifully and willingly accepted the invitation to help with that to let's be patient and maybe if that opportunity don't come to pass maybe we can find someone else that we can help I just feel like we need to do something to help people who are lonely or shut in and are desperate to feel like somebody loves them and cares for them. Those of you that signed up to be Connect Group leaders, this is our heartbeat. And uh, we're going to make it very light. We're going to make it very easy, very friendly, all of that. Uh, but our purpose is to reach people who are so desperate for fellowship and friendship from somebody. Make yourself available to it. We're going to have a lot of fun doing it. We're going to have a lot of fun. But there's going to be a serious component, and I believe it's not going to be too long. We're going to see people in our altars. We're going to be baptizing people in the beautiful name of Jesus, and they're going to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost because you are willing to put yourself out there a little bit. And God's going to reward your effort. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. Remember our mission. Remember our mission. Carry it with you tonight. When you go home, pray about it, think about it. Make yourself available to the will and purpose of God. God bless you tonight. Thank you deeply for being here. Thank you so very much for being here. You're dismissed, and we will look forward to seeing you Sunday morning and having a great time in the Holy Ghost Sunday. God bless you tonight.